Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash radio to sign up now. Today we're talking about maritime law, which is why I'm standing next to my yacht, the Legal Seagull. Wait. Where did he go? Damn you, pirates! Ahoy, Legal Eagles. Today we're talking about pirates, specifically sea pirates and the law of the sea. Because believe it or not, pirates actually had a huge effect on not only the founding of our country, but also the way that our laws were shaped, both domestically and internationally. So let's talk about what it means to be a pirate and why that's incredibly illegal. So first we need to talk about what laws govern the ocean. And there's actually three overlapping types of law. First there's maritime law, which is generally the law related to private ships and commercial shipping. And then there's admiralty law, which generally relates to the law of shipping, whether it's navigable waters, in rivers, or on the ocean itself. And then there's the law of the sea, which is an actual thing. That is the international law related to the use of oceans and seas. So uh, maritime and admiralty law tends to be domestic, while the law of the sea tends to be the international rules amongst different nations. Now, shipping was incredibly important to the United States when it was a new nation, and that's why it's mentioned several times in the U.S. Constitution. Article 3 defines the boundaries of subject matter jurisdiction for the courts. Specifically, it extends to the judicial power of the United States to, quote, all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. And if you're a U.S. lawyer dealing with maritime law, you're probably dealing with laws like the Merchant Marine Act of 1928, also known as the Jones Act. This act gives sailors the right to sue negligent sea captains and companies if they're injured on the seas, and it also highly restricts the type of ships that are allowed to transport goods in the United States. Specifically, the Jones Act says that any ship that transports goods between two different U.S. states has to be built in the United States, be owned 75% by U.S. citizens, be crewed at least 75% by U.S. citizens, and fly a U.S. flag. Now, you're probably thinking, who cares? This is just an esoteric law about ships. But it actually has a huge impact on the U.S. economy. And for you, my fellow U.S. consumer, it can make things incredibly expensive. For example, the cost of shipping one container from Los Angeles to Shanghai is about $900, whereas the cost of shipping that same container from Los Angeles to Hawaii is about $10 thousand dollars. And as a result, states like Alaska and Hawaii and territories like Puerto Rico have incredibly high shipping rates just to get things from one state to another, whereas those rates often don't apply to foreign countries. And while you might be thinking, hey, it's good for American shipbuilders and American sailors, well, there aren't actually that many. U.S. shipbuilding basically doesn't exist anymore outside of the defense industry. There are less than 100 ships that meet the requirements of the Jones Act. So in times of emergency, sometimes these states are just completely screwed. This might be the dumbest law on the books. It's enough to drive you to piracy, which is what we're gonna talk about next. So it might not surprise you to learn that if you commit the act of piracy on the high seas, you can be prosecuted as such. 
And during the golden age of piracy, there were thousands and thousands of pirates operating in the Caribbean and off the Barbary Coast, which had a huge effect on the formation of this nation. In the Caribbean, they boarded merchant ships from Britain, the Netherlands, France, and Portugal, and played big powers against each other. Some of their exploits are legendary. Blackbeard captured a former slave ship named the Concord, renamed it Queen Anne's Revenge, and blockaded Charleston Harbor in 1718. Piracy was such a menace that it made its way into the Constitution. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 10 gives Congress the power to, quote, define and punish piracy in felonies on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations. And in 1790, Congress used that authorization to create the first Anti-Piracy Act. And this had nothing to do with software. It was about actual sea pirates. The statute defined piracy as murder or robbery on the high seas or any other crime committed on the high seas that would be punishable by death under U.S. law if committed on land. The Supreme Court held that the 1790 statute was limited in its scope, and American courts couldn't penalize people who committed piracy if they weren't American citizens sailing on a U.S. flag vessel or if they didn't inflict actual harm on U.S. citizens. Congress eventually amended the law in 1819, specifying that piracy didn't need a specific nexus to the United States. That's actually very rare in law, because if you have watched this channel before, you know that standing is an incredibly important requirement for almost any U.S. lawsuit or prosecution. However, rather than defining what piracy meant, as it did in the original statute, it referred to the crime of piracy as defined by the law of nations. The punishment for piracy under the 1890 law was death. In 1909, the penalty was changed to life imprisonment. And the 1909 law hasn't been amended since its passage, and it's found at 18 U.S.C. 1651. But the first challenge of the 1819 law came swiftly in 1820, when a man named Smith participated in a mutiny on a private vessel commissioned by the colony of Buenos Aires. Smith and his mates imprisoned the captain, seized another pirate ship called the Irresistible, and robbed a Spanish vessel. Smith was convicted of piracy, but he took his conviction to the Supreme Court. Smith argued that the definition of piracy was too vague, but the court disagreed. The Supreme Court held that piracy was defined with reasonable certainty by the law of nations and that robbery on the high seas was a component of piracy. Now, nations hate piracy and they hate pirates, which is why they want to prosecute pirates whenever they can. So the U.S. and many other developed countries have taken a universal approach to this kind of law. This kind of international law is actually very rare, but it did serve as a template for the prosecutions in Nuremberg and Tokyo following World War II. Now, it took 200 years for the U.S. to prosecute another case of piracy. But in 2010, the U.S. actually prosecuted two different cases of piracy. The first, U.S. versus Said, involved pirates who shot at the USS Ashland. The pirates boarded a small skiff and fired weapons at the Ashland, but didn't attempt to board. The pirates moved to dismiss the case since they didn't board or take control of the USS Ashland. And the U.S. District Court granted the motion. The court said that the piracy statute only allowed prosecutions for, quote, robbery or forcible depredations upon the sea, the definition given to piracy by the United States Supreme Court in Smith 190 years earlier. But in the sister case in U.S. versus Hassan, the Fourth Circuit expanded the definition of piracy beyond just robbery. In that case, Somali pirates mistakenly thought a U.S. military vessel, the USS Nicholas, was actually a merchant ship. The pirates opened fire on the ship, and the USS Nicholas crew fired back. The pirates agreed to flee, but they were captured and brought to the U.S., where they became the first men convicted of piracy in 200 years. They were given life sentences. However, the men thought that they could appeal based on the Said case. They had not boarded the USS Nicholas, nor did they rob the vessel. Unfortunately for them, the Fourth Circuit expanded the definition of robbery and upheld the convictions. The court held that when Congress enacted 18 U.S.C. 1651 and provided for piracy to be defined by the law of nations, Congress knew that the definition of piracy would expand and evolve as the law of nations evolved. The court noted that the international definition of piracy has included many actions beyond robbery and murder. The Fourth Circuit held that 
limiting the definition of piracy to robbery on the high seas would, quote, render it incongruous with the modern law of nations and prevent the federal courts from exercising universal jurisdiction in piracy cases. The Fourth Circuit reversed the dismissal of the piracy count in Sade. The bottom line is that under modern U.S. law, piracy on the high seas involves things other than just robbery. So pirates, be prepared to walk the plank. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.